All right, well, God bless you and welcome to this uh, Nets Course 2, Disciples of the Lord Jesus. This is Session 5, Faith Towards God. Now, we've been seeing how to interpret the difficult verses in light of the clear verses. And we've been seeing how Jesus Christ dying once is enough. And His sacrifice was good for all our sins as far as eternal life is concerned. We're saved once and that's enough. And there's no sacrifice after that for those sins except the Lord Jesus' blood. His sacrifice is enough. There's no need for lambs or goats or going back to those former sacrifices. However, there is a need for repentance anyway, and there is a need to turn back to Him when we do sin and fall aside. And it can affect us, and it can affect our eternity if we don't turn back to Him. In 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, it says, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with Him we shall also live with Him. In other words, we died on the cross with Him, and as far as God is concerned, for our eternal life, we have been given eternal life now, and the promise of an inheritance. If we died with Him, we shall absolutely live with Him. If we endure, however, we shall also reign. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. Now is that Spirit or soul. When it says, if we deny Him, He'll deny us. It's speaking to Christians. Can a Christian deny the Lord? Yes. Can the Lord deny a Christian? Yes. But is it talking about in light of eternal life or in light of reigning with Him? In light of inheritance. It's talking in light of inheritance, which comes through the salvation of our soul and obedience in our walk. Because if we died with Him... We shall live with Him. Past tense. We died with Him. That can't be changed. Once we died with Him, we can no longer undie with Him. We've died once. <laughs> right? Now we have eternal life. So we will, we shall absolutely live with Him. Our eternal life is a sure thing. In the Old Testament, they never could be sure until they died. If they died in grace, then they were attributed the eternal life. It was a promise to them if they stayed faithful. In other words, if they endured in grace. The salvation was by grace. However, we now received salvation, past tense, by grace. And now if we live in grace and walk in grace... If we abide in Him, then we shall reign with Him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given as a token of eternal life. For us, it is eternal life, and it's a token of an inheritance. So if we endure, we also shall reign. If we don't endure, that means we're denying Him. If we deny Him, He shall deny us, meaning He shall deny that we can reign with Him. Romans 8, 17. And if children, which is the word technon, young children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. So it's conditional. To be heirs as a child means it's a promise to you. But if you want to be a joint heir, meaning you want to share fully in that heirship, which is a promise to you through family relationship. The promise is through family relationship. You're a son of God. But how do you receive it? By growing up in all things, by suffering, by enduring, by staying faithful. If we suffer with Him, 
we will be glorified with Him. If we suffer with Him, we will be joint heirs with Christ. That's part of the great mystery. Titus 3.7 Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have been, past tense, justified. Justification means it's just as if you never sinned. We were justified by grace. Now we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We, by obedience, standing firm, have a hope that we're going to have heirship with our eternal life. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified, past tense, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith to the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what is our state as a Christian? Our state is that we're saved. We're a son of God. But what is our standing? Standing has to do with obedience. Standing has to do with fellowship. Where do we stand has to do with are we standing in grace? That is after salvation. We have been justified, past tense, but now, present tense, we need to stand in grace. How do we stand in grace? By faith. It's a choice. It's a decision. By faith, we stand in grace. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, and we've looked there a little bit, but in verses 1 and 2, there are seven various doctrines, foundational doctrines of the church. Eventually, we'll look at all of them in, our, in these courses. But i like to just look at them very briefly here and just to list what they are. And in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 2, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the elementary principles of Christ, the foundational principles of Christ, include all the teachings of Jesus, but they can all be wrapped up in love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the things that He taught us, all the foundational understanding of Christianity, that Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. No one can come to the Father but by Him. You must be born again. We must eat of His body and drink of His blood. All those are foundational understandings and foundational principles of Christ. They are foundational. They don't change. It includes what was talked about in, in verse 6, in that there is repentance from death unto life, which is different than repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works is in the works category. It's the things that we do after we're saved. But repentance from death unto life is what we receive at salvation. So salvation is included in the elementary principles of Christ. He said you must be born again. Then let us go on to perfection. Isn't that what the Word of God has given, that the man of God may be perfected, he may be completed, he may grow up? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We understand that we need to change our walk, our conversation, our lifestyle after we're saved. We don't want to live like we lived before, but we want to now live like Jesus would have us live, according to His principles. We want to become disciples of the Lord Jesus after we have become believers on the Lord Jesus. And faith towards God. This is what we're learning about now. Of the doctrine of baptisms. There is a doctrine of the different baptisms and how they relate to our salvation 
for eternal life and are set the salvation of our soul towards inheritance, the laying on of hands, including impartation, including calling out of gifts, including a, of uh, anointing and ordination and uh, even judgment of the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the unjust and of eternal judgment. Everyone will receive judgment. Some have already been judged. Others will be judged at the white throne judgment. But nevertheless, we all have to understand these things and they, they need to be disclosed to us and explained to us. Now, Jesus died once and that was enough. And although we, through our carnal minds, sometimes think that our sin, that we may have sinned after we received the Lord Jesus was so bad that his dying wasn't good enough or wasn't enough, which is what we're saying if we say that we are unsaved now. We're saying that him dying and we receiving him as our Savior wasn't enough for that particular sin. I think we see that with Moses when God told Moses to strike the rock in Numbers chapter 20. He said, strike the rock once. Now the rock was Christ, which is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.4. But Moses struck the rock twice. And because of that, he was not allowed to enter into the promise of his inheritance. And that's a symbol to us today that Christ died once and that's enough. And if we believe at any point in time that we need to go back because what him dying once wasn't enough, then we've fallen from grace. And we're in danger of losing the opportunity for our eternal inheritance. Him dying once was enough. And there's nothing we can do after that that would keep us from eternal salvation. However, there are things we can do after that that could keep us from walking in grace and receiving our eternal inheritance. So it's important what we do after we're saved. Don't hit the rock twice. His dying once was enough. But now, for us to walk in grace, understanding that He did it all for us, and then begin to walk and grow and be perfected so that He may manifest Himself through us. Christ's sacrifice once was enough. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What was he saying to the Galatians? It was trying to go back to the works, to be saved by works, caused them to fall from grace in their life, and their walk. They were trying to be religious. They were trying to act like they thought Christians should act. And he said, you have fallen from grace. They were estranged from Christ. They were hitting the rock twice. Interesting enough that in this administration, <laughs> even hitting the rock twice won't keep us from our eternal life, but it endangers our eternal inheritance. And that's what Paul was trying to do with the Galatians, was get them back on track, back in grace, so that they can have a full reward. James chapter 4, verse 6, But he gives more grace... Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if they had fallen from grace, they were being puffed up. They were cutting out their own way. They were digging their own rut. <laughs> they were finding their own way like 
man so often wants to do, to find his own way to God, to do it by works, by the works of his own hand rather than by grace. The religion of Cain rather than the religion of Abel. But God resists us when we're in that position. The devil's already against us. We don't need God resisting us. So we want to remain humble. God gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace, it says, to the humble. So by faith, we can stand in grace. We can put ourselves in a position to receive more grace by faith. Remember, faith without works is dead. You're not saved by the works. But the grace is attributed to you by the things that you do in faith. He'll give you more grace. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory. Grow in grace. Can you see that grace is not something that just happens? It doesn't just fall? We've been slighted, I think, because we've not been taught correctly about grace. And yet, it's by grace that we stand. We were saved by grace through faith, but we also stand in grace through faith. Because we've not understood this, many Christians have not been able to stand very securely. And so what I want to teach you is very important to the foundation that you stand on. It is the rock that you stand on. Jesus is our grace. 2 Timothy 2.1 You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We can grow in it. He gives more grace to us, and we need to be strong in it. We receive it by faith. Now, as sons in the kingdom, we have certain rights that are ours as sons. And remember, discipleship is learning the rules and regulations of the kingdom of God. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And sonship rights all come to us by grace. The primary right that we have from heaven is grace. Even as liberty might be the primary right that we would say as an American we would have. And we have other rights that we would say as Americans that, that are ours. For instance, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of self-protection. But all those freedoms, which we consider to be rights, come because of the underlying right or freedom of liberty, which is the right to choose. So, as a Christian, in the kingdom of God, we have a foundational right, which is grace. And because of that right, we have many others. Now, we won't cover all of them here, but here's a few. Here's seven, which can all be found in either 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or Romans chapter 5. We have available to us wisdom from God. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but also in James 1.5 and 1 Corinthians 10.13. That's the wisdom that we can receive from God whenever we need it to get us out of temptation. We have righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 as well as 2 Corinthians 5.21 and Romans 14.17. We have sanctification by God and for God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 as well as Jude 1.1 and 1 Peter 3.15. We have redemption through God, 1 Corinthians 1.30, as well as Romans 3.23 and 24. We have justification in God and by faith in God, Romans 4.25 and Romans 3.23 and 24. And then peace with God, Romans 5.1 and Hebrews 4.9 through 11. 
and then reconciliation to God, which is in Romans 5, 10 and 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, which also includes the word and the ministry of reconciliation. This is something we have after we're saved. These are all rights that we have. These are empowerments given to us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Romans 4.22-5.2 And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe to him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith to the grace in which we stand. Romans 5, 10 and 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, past tense, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive the reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled, but we have a ministry of reconciliation to continually reconcile ourselves and others back to God. That is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Grace is ours as sons in the kingdom, but we walk in it, we grow in it. We get more as he gives us more by faith. We receive it by faith. God's grace given to us is his action in our lives. Grace is not unmerited favor, as is often taught. Unmerited favor is mercy. God's mercy is withholding merited judgment, but it is also unmerited favor. And we receive the mercy also through Jesus Christ. But grace is God's empowerment, as we're going to see. If we think that grace is unmerited favor, then we don't realize that there are things we can do by faith in order to stand in grace. There are things we can do by faith, in order to receive grace, to grow in grace, to be strong in grace. If we think that it's just unmerited favor that we just fall into at times, especially through sin, then we'll never be strong in it. This has been a lie of the enemy. But grace is a right that we have. It's an entitlement. It's an entitlement as a son of the king, as a citizen of the kingdom. Great truths about grace. Grace is God's empowerment upon, within, or through your life. Grace is appropriated when we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to perform through our actions. 
We were saved by grace through faith, and we still receive grace by faith through obedience. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If we think that grace cannot be received by faith, if it's just something that God gives at His will, then we have a stronghold that keeps us from standing in grace. A stronghold that keeps us from growing in grace, and it is grace where we stand. It's a stronghold of the enemy to believe that grace cannot be appropriated through our desire and actions upon God's written directives. God's word says we can grow in grace. We can be strong in grace. We have to go to him to find out how because we need it if we're going to see our souls transformed. James chapter 4 verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, if we're humble, we can receive grace. So who decides if we're humble? We decide. If we choose to be humble, then we have faith. We take action to be humble. If we will do our part, God will do his part. We cannot just grab grace. But what we can do is by faith be humble and we'll receive the grace of God because he gives grace to the humble. So by faith, we will receive the grace of God and by faith, we'll stand in it. And that'll be a rock and will not be moved. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See, the in due time, that means we're going to have to stay faithful. That means we're going to have to endure. If we will endure, then we will reign with him. Our job is to humble ourselves. It's his job to give the grace. It's our job to endure until we have everything that we need, everything that we're after, till we have the deliverance we're praying for, till we have the salvation in whatever aspect of our life that we're praying for that salvation. We receive it by faith. There are things that we do to put ourselves in a position to receive things from God. That does that mean that we earned it. I don't believe it necessarily means we earned it. What it means, we put ourselves on that rock, which is Jesus. We put ourselves under His promise by obeying the word of God and then he keeps his word all will be humbled some will humble themselves and be exalted and some will exalt themselves and be humbled but all will be humbled when we humble ourselves we receive grace when the Lord humbles us we receive judgment 2 Corinthians 9 8 and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, the context there, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, was the offering that they had taken up for him to take to Jerusalem. And he was saying, because they had been receiving the offering weekly, and been saving it up, 
they had placed themselves in a position that made God able to make all grace abound towards them. Well, that would imply then that there is a place where God is not able to make all grace abound towards us. Remember, he gives grace to the humble. If we won't humble ourselves, if we won't obey, then we're in a position where we don't receive grace. We're in a position of needing mercy. To get to the grace, we can always come back through repentance, right? However, there is a place where he is able, and they place themselves there by obedience to the scripture. They gave tithes and offerings. And then God was able to make all grace abound towards them that they always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, good works are not religious works. Good works are the works of Jesus Christ through us. Good works are what I call manifested grace. I like to call them works of grace, which is a paradox. <laughs> but they're things that we do by grace and through grace. It's things that God does through us, which is grace. His empowerment upon us, in us, or through us is grace. Acts 4.33. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Not just regular grace, but great grace. Now, regular grace, is whatever that is, is tremendous. But great grace is there when there's signs, miracles, and wonders. It's that great grace that puts us in a position to be manifesting that great power of God in the world. Romans 6.1 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now herein is a problem for most of us. Because when we believe that grace is God's unmerited favor to us, and we know that we're saved by grace, and we also know we stand in grace, so when we sin... We say, well, forgive me, Lord. I'm sure glad it's by grace. And in reality, Paul was addressing this in Romans chapter 6. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Because in reality, we say, oh, no, of course not. Because we know sin's not good. We know God doesn't like it. And he resists those that continually sin and don't repent. Well, we say no. We won't continue in sin that grace may abound, but our lives sometimes speak differently. Let's look here. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, I want you to look at the tenses. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's past tense. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's future tense. Moreover, where sin abounded, that's past tense. Grace abounded much more. That's present and future tense. In the King James Version, Verse 20 reads, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Young's literal translation of verse 20, And the law came in that the offense might abound, and where 
the sin did abound, the grace did overabound. The Amplified Bible says it did superabound. That even as sin did reign in death, so also the grace may reign through righteousness to life, age, during, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, where grace abounds, sin is always in the past tense, not in the present tense. If you want grace to abound, you need to get out of sin. In other words, use the mercy to leave the sin behind and put yourself in a position by forgiveness, through repentance, by your faith, you're in a position to receive grace. See, because when we read that incorrectly, we say, where sin abounds, well, it's good because now grace can much more abound. That's not true. Where sin abounds, mercy needs to come in. And by repentance, we can then have grace after we've repented. Mercy bridges the gap and brings us out of the position of deserving judgment into a position of receiving grace. But you can't have sin and grace at the same time. Romans 6.15 What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. The King James Version says, God forbid. The NIV says, by no means. The New American Standard says, may it never be. And the New Living Translation says, of course not. <laughs> we say that. Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Of course not, we say. And yet, if we have the wrong understanding of grace, we will sin. Because we realize, hey, it's by grace. What does it matter? That's what's in the back of our minds. And that's why so many who are under the understanding of, of grace, the misunderstanding of grace, really are locked into sin. Because, hey, it's by grace. Now, I was raised not knowing much about grace, but I knew about works. And I heard a lot about faith without works is dead, but it was taught in light of salvation. Well, then, later in life, as I continued to search for God and search for the power of God and so on, I came to understand that salvation is by grace. And boy, it was enlightening. It was exciting. But after a short time, I found that the people that believed in salvation by grace, many of them could sin like crazy and were sinning like crazy. And it didn't seem to bother them. And it bothered me. <laughs> I couldn't understand Grace was so great, it shouldn't be something that we would abuse. And yet I couldn't argue with, it's by grace, because I could see it now very clearly. We're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But yet I continued to search and to seek God and to be wanting to be taught of the Lord. And that's when I eventually learned that there is a balance. And while we're saved by grace, we need to stand in grace. And what they were calling grace was not grace at all. Because as long as you're going out there and continually sinning, you're not in grace. And you cannot say, well, it's by grace, because you're not living it. You're not walking it. What you're saying is, well, it's by mercy, and I have not received my inheritance. Because as long as I'm living like this, I have not stood on grace. Rather, I'm living according to the carnal nature... And yes, I can receive forgiveness and I can come back to the Lord. But then when I fall right back, I have fallen back out of inheritance again. Out of my opportunity for eternal inheritance. I've fallen out of my place of potentially reigning with Christ because of a misunderstanding of what grace is and therefore not obeying the truth. Now, obviously, there's many that obey even with a misunderstanding of grace because of the love of God. Because if we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. We know that. But 
Shall we sin that grace may abound? We say no, but when we teach it wrong, it doesn't make sense because if that's the only way we see grace manifested is by sin, if it's unmerited favor. It's not unmerited favor. It's a right. It's, it's an endowment for anyone who is a son of God and a citizen of the kingdom. And we can say, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And we can say no because we realize that we're under grace, but if we sin, we're not walking in grace. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We can say no now because we realize that if we continue in sin, we're not walking in grace. And there is no grace abounding. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, every day is a time of need. But when I sin, I still can come boldly, but I receive mercy because of the sin. Once I have received mercy, I can obtain my grace, which is the help. Mercy is the bridge that gets me out of the sin. When I repent, I receive mercy. But grace is what takes me out of that place and brings me into the light and allows me to do more with God than I could ever do without God. It puts me back in a position of inheritance. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, we can't boast about it, but that's the same process that we get into grace now. We're saved by grace through faith. And now, daily, we're saved by grace through faith. In light of our works and what we do and how we live for God, we need to receive grace. And we receive it by faith. It's not of works. We receive it by faith and put ourselves in a position to receive. But what we do in that position are the works of grace that manifest God in this world. Romans 10.10 for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word unto is the Greek word ace, E-I-S. It means in the direction of. With the heart you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth you confess unto salvation. That's how we're saved. Remember, we're not saved by works. But it says we have to confess and we have to believe. Now, to confess Jesus as Lord, is that works? Well, it is works. You have to confess it. It's not hard. But actually, it's so hard, many people never get around to doing it. But it's not physically fatiguing. You'd think you'd have to do a lot more work. But even a little bit of work is still work. And we're not saved by work. That's why it's the word ace. Because even your confession didn't get you saved. All you did by your confession was put yourself in a position that he saved you. He did it all. But since he believes in freedom of will, the greatest thing he's given us is that freedom of will. He won't overstep it. So therefore, when it comes to your salvation, he won't even save you unless you turn towards him. And by confessing unto and believing unto in the direction of, you're just reaching out your hand and saying, help. And he's saying, oh, look, they're asking me for help. I'll save them. I'll rescue them. That's the word. And when he touches us, we receive grace. It's the same process after we're saved. We just turn unto in the direction of, and he gives the grace. Our faith is used to turn in the direction, to obey 
Our works are in the direction of. They don't save us. Our works don't earn us grace. But they put us in a position to receive it. Luke chapter 2 verse 40, speaking about Jesus. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now if grace was unmerited favor, then Jesus would have never had it. Because he never sinned. It doesn't say anywhere that Jesus had mercy upon him. It says Jesus gives mercy. But it says the grace of God was upon him. Why? Because he was obedient. How do we receive grace? The same way, through obedience, putting ourselves in God's will. Mercy gets us there, but grace brings the blessings. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 2, 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 2 Peter 3, 18. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we understand truly what grace is, we can grow in grace. It can be multiplied to us in a great and a mighty way. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, that word spiritual is the Greek word pneumatikos. And actually the, the word gifts is in italics, if you have a Bible that has italics, meaning that that word was added by the translators. The word gifts is not, does not have a corresponding Greek word to it. The word pneumatikos literally means spiritual matters, spiritual things. Now concerning spiritual matters, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. He wants us to understand spiritual things. Therefore, in verse 3, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say in the Spirit that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, in other words, you can say Jesus is Lord. You can say that with your mouth and not believe it. But no one can say it through the Spirit except by the Holy Spirit. Now it says in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, which is the word charisma, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts. Now, that word charisma comes from the Greek word for grace. The Greek word for grace is charis, which is the first half of that word. There are different kinds of grace gifts. There are different kinds of empowerments of grace is the word here, charisma. There are different kinds of manifesting of grace, but the same spirit. It all originates with God. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one to the profit of all. The manifestation of the spirit which is the gift of grace manifested, the empowerment of grace manifested. It's given to each one for the profit of all of us. Did anybody get missed? No, because it says it's given to each one. So if we say, well, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any grace to be manifested through me. I don't have any empowerment of the Spirit to be manifested in my life. We would have to be incorrect, wouldn't we? Because it says... It's given to each one of us. And the purpose is 
for all of us to receive profit. The blessings from heaven to be manifested through each of us. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongue. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, we want to look at this. What is it saying when it says, to another, to another, to another? But the manifestation in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Now, is it talking about to one person? Or is it talking about to one prophet? In other words, for, for one prophet, we have the word of wisdom to be manifested to us, to be received profit thereby. Is it saying, through the Spirit to another prophet, the word of knowledge is given through the same Spirit. To another prophet for the church, faith by the same Spirit. Now we know one thing, and as we'll see more, we have to understand all verses in light of other verses, don't we? And if this is saying there are different kinds of gifts, and they're given to each one, for the profit of all, and to one is given only one, then it would contradict other parts of Scripture. Because in other parts of Scripture, we see very clearly that we can manifest more than one. But to understand it in light of the profit to the church, it makes total sense and fits with all other Scriptures. That you receive the gift. You have Holy Spirit. And by that Spirit, you manifest grace. And His grace is manifested through you, and it may be manifested differently than it is through me. But it does come forth with gifts and empowerments. And some of these are listed here. Nine empowerments of spirit, often called the gifts of the spirit. And that comes from this word charisma or charismata. Now, the word gift is proper if you understand grace as unmerited favor. But when you begin to understand that grace is God's empowerment, then the word gift takes on a different meaning. These gifts, certainly God gave them to us. We couldn't receive them if He didn't give them to us. But to say gift in light of the way we're thinking of gift, it's like on Christmas morning, there's a present with your name on it. And you unwrap it, and that's what you get. But that only comes once a year, and you have to make your list, and you have to give it, and you hope, and maybe you'll get what you ask for, maybe you won't. But God's gifts and empowerments come by placing ourselves in a particular position any day of the year. Now that gift under the Christmas tree, you received it because you showed up at the right place at the right time. Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, whichever uh, your family, uh, which tradition your family follows. But then you were under that tree or you are at that place. Your stocking was hung by the chimney with care. Whatever uh, your tradition is, you followed that. And you got to the right place at the right time and you received it. But with God's gift is like that, except that whenever and wherever we put ourselves in a position to receive, we receive. Not by the rules of men, but the, by the rules of the kingdom of God. So to understand it in light of empowerments, I think, that come by grace is, is a more clear description. 
However, these are the gifts of the Spirit that you hear talked about. They come by the Spirit, but they are by and through grace. But how do you receive grace? Through faith. So therefore, if we understand these in light of grace gifts or grace empowerments, then we also can understand that we can receive these through faith because they come by grace. They are gifts of grace. So if we understand that they come by faith, by placing ourselves in a position through obedience, we can receive. And then we know to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith. We understand that you may have one and I may have one manifested, but they're different for profit to the church. And any one of us can manifest numerous gifts of the Spirit as we receive the grace. Will any one of us operate all of them at the same time? No. I don't know if it's possible to operate all nine at the same time, but could you operate all nine in the same day? You bet. In the same hour? You bet. By placing yourself in a position to receive and manifest God's empowerment, His empowering grace, which is our entitlement, our right, if you will, as a citizen of the kingdom. Now, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Uh, to another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the selfsame Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I kind of like the King James Version where it says, distributing to each one severally. As he wills. <laughs> so in other words, that clarifies the each one question. At any rate, distributing to each one individually. That word each one means you and I. We receive the blessings at his will. What you're supposed to manifest, what I'm supposed to manifest to bring the prophet to the people of God comes by the will of God. Now, some people teach and with with good effect, I might add, that this should not be capitalized, that the he should be a small he. In other words, distributing to everyone individually as he, the person, wills. But as I said, they do have great fruit to show from that teaching, in that people that believe that generally seem to manifest more of these gifts than people that seem to believe it just comes at God's will. But I don't believe either of those is correct. I don't believe that this comes just at our will. Nor do I believe it just comes at God's will under the wrong understanding of grace, that it's unmerited favor. I believe it comes as we will to place ourselves in a position where it is His will that we manifest whichever one of these it is that we're supposed to manifest or that we desire to manifest. Can you desire one or more of these and go after it and seek after it? Yes, you can. Does it come by your will? No, but it does take your will. But it will come by God's will. But if we understand grace, it comes by His grace, then what we're trying to do is not beg it out of Him, not plead it from Him, not tarry long enough to get it, but just to put ourselves in a position through obedience and humility to receive it so we may then manifest it. Might it take some endurance? Certainly. Might it take some humility? Of course. Will it require faith? Indeed. However, 
We pull down strongholds. That's how we war. We pull down strongholds in our mind. Just have an understanding that you get one and I get one. And the one I got may not be the one I want, but that's the one I got. And you may get a different one. And what you have is what you get, and that's all there is, would be a wrong teaching. Now, it may be true that you might manifest one of these because of his will before another. Well, of course, we will manifest one before another. Let's say you manifest a, a word of knowledge, and you began walking in word of knowledge shortly after you were saved. But boy, you'd really like to speak in tongues. So you've already walked in the one. Does that mean you're not going to ever get the other? No. Be faithful with the one. But seek the Lord for His will. How you can place yourself in a position to receive the other. Because His word tells us where it is we should be in order. What does He want? How does He want to manifest each one of these manifestations of His Spirit to the profit of all of us? Charisma are grace entitlements. And they are empowered in us by the Spirit through grace. The Spirit distributes His grace empowerments according to His divine will. When we place ourselves in the proper place through faith, we receive by grace the charisma. We receive those manifestations, those empowerments, those gifts by grace. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says... For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word from men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. They did receive it as if it was from God, even though they received it from men. Whether we manifest everything God wants us to manifest has a lot to do with how we receive the word if we receive it with faith or if we receive it with doubt. If we receive it in faith, then we're liable to manifest that grace and that goodness. And therefore, because they received it not as the word of men, but as the word of God, it worked effectively because it works in those that believe. The word of God works in those that believe. There are many that have memorized scripture that don't believe scripture and it does not work for them. It's been said that true Christianity is to believe in the impossible, but in reality, true Christianity is to do the impossible. And you can't do the impossible unless you believe. You have to have faith, but that's what Christians are to do, to manifest in this realm things from the kingdom of God that come from another realm. So when we walk in faith, we're pleasing to God. Without faith, we can't please Him. So when we seek the Lord and we place ourselves in a position of receiving grace from Him, it's pleasing to God because He desires to manifest His grace in this world, in this realm. If we doubt it, if we think, well, no, I don't believe I'm worthy enough for all that grace, one little gift would be enough for me, then we cut off the grace of God. We fall from grace because we think it's by our works. It's not. Christ died for you. He made it available. Now it's up to us to receive it. If we'll put ourselves in a position, we can manifest it. And then once we manifest that grace, 
we can grow in grace. Once we grow in grace, we can abound in grace. If we're abounding in grace, we're going to be strong in grace. If we're strong in grace, we're liable to have great grace abounding. And we'll find one day that we're standing on grace by faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30 says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, <laughs> the obvious answer to, the, to those questions is no. We're not all apostles. We're not all prophets. We're not all workers of miracles. We're not all teachers. We don't all have the gifts of healings. We don't all speak with tongues. And we don't all interpret. Now, on the other hand, I'm going to teach you <laughs> that we all should speak in tongues. And we all can interpret. And we all can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So we have an apparent contradiction here that I want to handle right now because I'm going to teach things that may apparently contradict this. Now, I'm not going to change what it says. The obvious answer to this question is no. We don't have all those things. What scriptural rule for interpretation should be applied when there is an apparent discrepancy due to a difficult verse? It is that difficult verses must be understood in light of clear verses. So we have to understand this verse in light of all other verses. Now, we receive grace and the gifts of grace by faith. And by placing ourselves in the proper position to receive the empowerment of grace. The understanding in this context comes when we understand that this is a listing of ministries or long suits. Long-suit giftings, not simple empowerments or manifestations. Let's read it again, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Now, we didn't see that listed in uh, chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Prophets. Well, we did see prophecy listed, but we didn't see prophets listed. They're not the same thing. While prophets do prophesy... Not only prophets prophesy. Third, teachers. We didn't see a manifestation or a grace gift of teaching in that list of those nine. After that, miracles. Well, we did see working of miracles there. Gifts of healings. We did see uh, gifts of healings listed. Helps we didn't see. Administrations we didn't see. Now, we did not see varieties of tongues. What we did see were the words different kinds of tongues. But if you'll notice, the word different is in italics, which means that there's no corresponding Greek word. So in, in other words, it's talking about kinds or genos of tongues, families of tongues. However, it's not in the sense of a ministry like we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. As a matter of fact, in most translations in 12, 28, it says different varieties or different kinds of tongues, but never is it translated properly in chapter 12, verse 10, with the word different or diverse. Those are always italicized, and it makes a difference in understanding the difference between the simple gift or empowerment and a ministry, someone who excels and has a long suit in various kinds of tongues. 
Are all apostles, or all prophets, or all teachers, or all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, those two verses, 29 and 30, the answer is obviously no. But it has to be answered in light of verse 28, which is speaking about ministries that operate in the church. Apostles are, is a ministry. It is a gift from heaven, but it's not a gift or an empowerment as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10 there, but it's a gift of a person's life manifested through Jesus' call of an apostle. He continues his ministry of an apostle through someone's life. We're not all prophets in the sense that there's a ministry of a prophet, a five-fold ministry of a prophet. We're not all a prophet, yet we all may prophesy. Now, if we could only have one of the manifestations then prophecy would be it, I suppose, because it says we all may prophesy. But we know that we don't only prophesy. Yet we're not all prophets. So when we get down here to the ones that seem to be the same, for instance, miracles and gifts of healings. Now that seems to be the same. But we have to look at this in light of a ministry, not in light of an empowerment. While all of us may pray for the sick and there might be a miracle, or there might be gifts of healing, empowered, imparted, released. Because Jesus said, the sign of a believer is they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So Jesus said, we all should have gifts of healing in our lives manifested. And yet here he's saying, we don't all have it. So where is the answer? The answer has to be in light of a believer manifests the gift of healing to a sick person, but this person listed here has a ministry of gifts of healing, which is a different thing. They have a long suit in that area, and they minister in that area. Same with workers in miracles. Same with the different languages, the different families of tongues. There are some people that are adept in tongues that they have more than a prayer language. They have more than maybe one or two different uh languages that they might speak in their prayer time, but they have many for many different purposes. It's very useful for an intercessor, someone that prays, that God has called to pray, to have many different languages for many different purposes. Obviously, as he wills, as he chooses, the languages aren't chosen by us because tongues is not a learning of a foreign language, but it's a manifestation through the spirit of the tongues of men or of angels. And some have a ministry in this area of tongues. And that's what it's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. Do all interpret? Well, we all can interpret. We'll see that. That we all can put ourselves in a position to interpret. But not all of us are going to have a long suit or a ministry in the area of interpretation. So to misunderstand these verses here is to take ourselves out of a position of receiving grace because we will not believe that it's possible. Because we'll, we'll be taught that it's as He wills, and He wills that you only have one, and whichever one you get is the one you get. And we don't all prophesy, and we don't all, and it would make it sound like if you're a, an apostle, then you shouldn't speak in tongues. Or if you're a prophet, well, then you shouldn't interpret tongues. And if you have healing, then you shouldn't be working miracles. And if you uh, have word of knowledge, then you shouldn't have word of wisdom. And if you have word of wisdom, then you shouldn't be a teacher. And we know those things are not true. 
and yet the Word of God still has to fit. And if we understand these verses here in light of ministries functioning in the church, then we'll understand clearly that it's a different level of the empowerments and the grace of God given through ministry and long suit than what we're talking about when we're talking about the simple gifts and empowerments back earlier in the chapter. Amen.